I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers play with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hello, everybody. Roll for initiative podcast, volume number three, issue 151. DM Vince with DM Matt. Hello, everyone. And Chad. Hey, yo, what's up? And DM Nick. Hey, everybody. <laughs> we got another show continuing this week along the path of the G-Series modules. We're going to be reviewing G2 this week. But first, any gaming news? Uh, Matt, what have you been doing gaming-wise? Well, my group, we're kind of in between RPGs right now. We finished uh, Only War, uh, the a fantasy flight uh, game set in the world of Warhammer 40K. So... Ooh. We're just playing some board games at the moment, and we've past couple weeks we've played the uh, Pathfinder Adventure card game. Um, oh, wow. Do tell. Yes, it's actually r- rather fun. It's like one of those cooperative deck building games that's like all the rage right now. Um, it, basically, the you'll pick a cla- each player will pick a class, and you and it'll tell you you need these fifteen types of cards. Like there's item cards, met spell cards allies cards for your henchmen and followers um weapons armor and you mix them all into your little 15 card deck and then you'll draw a hand of like four or five cards and on your turn you there's these seven piles of the cards that on the table that each represent locations so you'd be like i want to go to the tavern you put your character card in front of the tavern pile and flip over the top card. And that could be anything from like an item, another ally, a monster, uh, spells, and you either do combat with it or you make a roll to try to find it. Uh, Usually the adventures have a task that you have to complete, either like find this monster between these like seven piles and kill it, or you need to find so many allies... Or it could be even like fetch an I fetch this item, so it's fun, and you can actually as you accumulate stuff between like magic items and spells and whatnot, you get to add those to your deck, and in be- and then once you complete the adventure, you can keep that stuff in your deck too, so you can kind of level up in advance, and it's a fun little way to uh, get to run through some of the Pathfinder Adventure module series because. The cards in this relate directly to those different adventure paths. So it's a fun game to play. Very pricey. It is Paizo after all. So if you can talk one of your gaming friends into buying it, I definitely recommend it. (laughs) So what about you, Nick? What have you been up to? Nothing, really. I haven't done anything since Origins. I've, and you know what? It's okay. It's just, it's a, 
this time of year, a lot of my gaming group, because, you know, they have families and stuff, they're doing vacations and what have you. So uh, I've been um, just kind of going over, still going over my stuff from from uh, Origins and uh, just doing, catching up on some reading, really. But I can't wait to get into it. I know we got, we're going to try to get two sessions in, in August for our, my uh, Castle Greyhawk campaign. So really, really looking forward to that. What about you, Vince? Well, I've had my bi-weekly first edition game that I've been running at the local store, face-to-face, the Reaper store. Mm-hmm. And that's going pretty well, where everybody's approximately third level now, so they're okay. A couple problem players that are very new to the game. I told you the last time we had some brand new people who were coming from playing MMOs straight to role-playing games. Oh, wow. Yeah, that could be somewhat of a issue. They're fine with playing the game itself. They're just not grasping the whole they're good character concept right now. <laughs> they're kind of stealing whenever possible, which is fine. I understand that. And they're trying to eliminate and or kill the rest of the party whenever it's possible. So, Okay. Have you thrown any uh, in-character consequences at them? Not yet, because I'm letting them feel out the character first, and I'm letting them. I'm giving them a chance by explaining, you know, if you do this, this considered this act, and so I'm kind of guiding them along since it's the first time playing outside of an MMO. So I'm giving mm-hmm. leeway to them. Okay, that's okay. I can understand it. May, give them enough rope to hang themselves with. <laughs> yeah. So if they make up a decision that's gonna, I would automatically consider an evil act. I would tell them, you know, you guys, well, and they're like, oh, you're right. Okay, cool. Never mind. We won't do that. So they stop kind of doing those things, but they're still doing little things that are borderline, moving them from neutral good over to a different alignment. So I see. Maybe at the end of the adventure, when they go back to claim their reward and fame, they can find out that they're about to be arrested. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Very true. And Chad, what have you been up to? We haven't heard from you in a little while. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really. Been young man. <laughs> yeah. It's been a pretty busy couple of weeks for me, but. Uh, yeah, I really the main gaming that I've been doing. What uh, I'm doing my my play by post game, and we're still having a lot of fun with that. The characters who are pretty much all Formites, they have just made their way finally through the Welkwood in Greyhawk, which is in my world completely inhabited by you know. As I was telling you, I think the last time I was using a lot of the fairy creatures. But trying to go more with that old Celtic feel to them, you know, that they're kind of kind of scary. And they're finding out that they're kind of pawns between uh, the Seelie and Unseelie courts. But they've finally gotten through the forest to the Tower of the Unknown because we are doing In Search of the Unknown. Oh. So, yeah, they found a back entrance to In Search of the Unknown, which I know in the module it says that there is a secret back door that you can never use to go into it. Never, ever. Yeah, it's in there. But I, you know, I look at it this way. I, instead of a secret door, I made it a kind of a drainage <laughs> tunnel uh, yeah. at the in the hill itself underneath the tower. Uh, and then there are the catacombs underneath the tower, which are, you know, for the unknown. And, and basically there's like this iron grate that, that stops it up. And they, the one, the thief got herself stuck in the bars, but they managed to get her through just now. So now, now we're waiting to see if she can get the rest of them through. Ah. Cool. Yeah. So it's been, gonna, been a lot of fun. Been a lot of fun. So they're so, braving the halls of Quas Quest. 
quasi and something like that. I don't actually use that name for it. It sounds a little too Aztec Mayan-y for my taste. But, you know, hey, that's yeah. this is the beauty of having your own game campaign, you know, is that you can take from these old modules, which are really great frameworks, but then you <laughs> flesh them out and you don't have to keep everything. You can treat it like a salad bar, as I say. You can take what you like and leave the rest behind. That's right. Mm-hmm. Rearrange the rooms as you want, so, and so it works great. Do you rearrange the salad bar too? or I usually just sneeze on it. <laughs> yeah, because he lives on the edge. He has no sneeze guard. I'm an edge kind of guy. I say sneeze guards be damned. I'll take them. That's em. right. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> What's this chunk in my... Oh, never mind. Just call it a crouton and move on. Exactly. But it's slimy. So, okay, so we got Gen Con coming up next month. Well, this month, I should say, by the time this comes out, be August. So about another half a month, we'll be at Gen Con. Yeah. Chad, you'll be there, right? This year, I won't. I uh, can't make Gen Con this year. But, you know, I've been really getting an itch to get back there. It's been a few years since I've been to Gen Con. So we'll have to see. For this year, my conventions were Gary Con 6, and I went to Nexus, and I uh, have Game Hole coming up in November. I think that's probably going to be it for me this year. But who knows? Maybe next year. Uh, will the rest of Dead Game Society be representing there? or? Well, I know that Michael is actually trying to cut down a little bit on conventions because he just made a move to Kentucky. And so, you know, the investment and time for all of that, I think he's focusing right now on on his work. And Colin has been really involved in Nexus. I don't think he's going to be able to make uh, Gen Con, but... You know, outside of uh, they'll they'll still be hitting a few cons, but I think this year, you know, with work and everything, they may be. I know Michael for sure, but I I think they may be ramping it down just a little bit, probably only for one year, but they'll still hit one or two, I'm sure. All right, I know Matt will be going to Gen Con. Yeah, I will be there. I'm heading up uh, Wednesday morning, the day before the con, so that way I can get acclimated to Indianapolis and all the glory. That is Gen Con. Yes, Indianapolis, you need to get acclimated to. This is a hostile environment. Yes, it is. It's like Gamma World. Yeah. (laughs) There's steam coming out of the sewers. No, literally, steam coming out of the sewers. It it reeks. And chuds. Yes. You have to get used to the smell, too. That's why you go a day early. Yes, the smell, the, the quantity of people. The tunnel smelling on day negative one because it hasn't even started yet. Right, yes. The the pre-gamer funk. Mm-hmm. Yes. They got the funk. Yes, definitely. Especially I, by the end of the con. It is creepy when you go to a convention like that and you're standing outside and you're waiting for a ride because, you know, you're not. My wife had the car and some guy's like, hey, man, you're going to Gen Con. Yeah. Oh, I'm too. Can I sleep in your bathtub tonight? Like. <laughs> Sure, I don't know you. You're uh, like, where'd that come from? Yeah, you just. Oh. I remember that that one year. I was the second year. I went. Some dude was like, "Yeah, cool. We're gamers." He started talking. He's like, "Can I sleep in your bathtub tonight?" And I'm like, "No, go no. away. I don't yeah. even know you." That's horribly strange. And there is a hostel in Indianapolis. People, you There's can't a find a really cheap room. Yeah, it's a bit of a walk, but you can find shelter. And they're known for torture. 
Yeah. But otherwise, it's a great deal. It'll make for a life-changing experience. Is it the room with the one bucket in the middle that everybody has to pee into? I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to find out. There's a reason why I save money and actually get real hotel rooms. I don't want to have to go to the hostel route. That might be a hostel like in rural, rural Bulgaria, but come on. It's Indianapolis. That is Indianapolis. What could be wrong there? Oh, wait, the, uh, the Canterbury that had sewage back up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the Canterbury that w- one year I woke up and went to use the bathroom and I had no water. <laughs> yeah. The enti- but it's got charm. Yes, it does. It's very quaint. And walking down those narrow hallways, well, it's kind of creepy. Mm. Kind of like charm, like the Overlook Hotel yeah. in The Shining. Yeah. Yeah. Very much it's like kind of like D and D. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like LARPing for real. Yeah. Call Cthulhu. Yes, you yeah. can definitely yeah. LARP Call Cthulhu in that hotel. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, you could. You definitely could. The narrow hallways when you get into your room, if you have a king bed, you really have no floor because the bed takes up almost the entire room. That's awesome. I like that kind of bed. That's awesome. Yes, <laughs> it's very. And the rooms were very dark and just. They were very turn of the century because that's when it was built. Oh, yeah. I want to ride a big wheel through the hallways. Yes. And I'm... see two little girls standing there. <laughs> yes. All right. All right, folks. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, they're re- renovating the, the Canterbury this year. So you may actually have full size hallways. Oh. Yeah. They're doing like they actually shut it down Aww. for this Gen Con really? because they're remodeling everything. So I'm I was kidding. Yeah, so I expect some of the Rick, the charms of the narrow hallways and microscopic rooms with the oversized furniture may not be well, there anymore. If it's not such a great place to stay, then why stay there? The well, service is amazing. Terrible, actually, I mean, it, it actually there've been some years I've been there that the Canterbury's been really nice. It's just an older hotel, and you know, with, like anything else that's older, it, it's got some issues. You know, it's, I mean, the, it has its the plumbing's charm. old. Yeah. And I couldn't stay there. If they don't have Wi-Fi, I'm not staying. Oh, jeez. Actually, I'm just imagining the scene from The Shining where the woman gets out of the bathtub, except in this one, uh, Vince shows up in his room, and he sees that one dude getting out of the bathtub. <laughs> Sleeping in your tub. Yeah. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, dude, you should, next year, you should go on the Gen Con forums prior to Gen Con and say you have b- bathtub space available for someone to sleep in. And here's the thing. People will respond and go, yeah, oh, that'd be great. I bet I could probably sell the bathtub for a couple hundred bucks. You could probably, yeah. could. You could probably get a nice little amount of money, especially if it's attached like Weston or something like that or uh, Crown Plaza or like right across the street. People pay good money to sleep in your bathtub. Can I sleep on your floor, dude? No, go away. People no. sleep in the closet area. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Get, yeah. One of those nice little... Uh, Sliding door closets where the floors come yeah. along. Yeah. That's well, a hobbit size space. You open your closet to get some clothes and a hand reaches out with it. <laughs> yes. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Thing. Yes. <laughs> New problem, man. Moving along now. Uh, Moving along. Since Chad, you weren't here last week. We did a little bit of discussion about D&D 5th Edition Next coming out in the basic box set. Mm-hmm. You have any thoughts on that? Do you have a chance to take a look at it? I have not really had a chance to take a look at it yet. I know 
I, I probably will get a chance to look at it when I go to Game Hole. I believe uh, there might be some people uh, doing some fifth edition or, or at least uh, previewing it at Game Hole. But I, to this date, have not had a chance to look at it. I've heard a lot of mixed reviews. A lot of people say, yeah, it's just like the old first edition. Other people say, no, it's not. No, far from. It is a good game for people that like a lot of options and like to have you know uh, their attention span taken up by what they can do over their course of their turn. It is mm-hmm. any, I, it's not anything like the old box sets. Nothing like first edition. It made what me about not, fifth edition? I mean fourth edition. It's closer to like third slash fourth. It has all those things in third and fourth that most people don't like. So no, isn't the 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 basic set rules? They're they're out there free. For free on PDF, right uh, on yeah. Wizard's site. I haven't, I haven't checked it out yet. I should, I should be fair and and download it and take a look at it just to, to give a fair assessment. Yeah, take, only, take a peek at it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an interesting read. It's just you won't like it. I can tell you right now, you won't. But go yeah. into it with an open mind and see what you think. <laughs> you won't right. like it. Now go into it with an open yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> No preconceived notions, but you'll think it sucks. Yeah, you'll think it's, oh, it's utter crap and you won't like it. But really, give it a chance. I will not say it's utter crap. I will say it's just not for me. I don't like things such as healing surges for fighters and things like that. So. Oh, so they kept the healing surges? Yeah. After- There's your MMO stuff. All right, I don't need to check it out. That was enough for me. It's not during battle. It's one of those, if you get a, a, a five-minute rest, you can do a healing surge type thing. I don't like so once again, I'm seeing the health bar zooming back to green again. After yeah, yeah, pretty much. Most things. Uh, player characters are never supposed to die ever. Yeah. Don't you yeah, know I that? I swear, it's like I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the game designers today, or I mean, I don't think it's the game. I think to some degree they're probably dictated to by the game companies what they're what the companies are expecting but at the same time i don't know if it's the game companies or the players but who is it that just cannot handle their character taking damage or their customers characters taking damage mm. well beats me people that think darker dungeons is real <laughs> no <laughs> it's more about they want to they want to coddle you. They want you to feel like that that this is you're special. You're going to conquer no matter what. Yeah, and you're special and everything. Well, well, that, didn't that kind of take away this the, the the element of of not just fear but adventuring? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you take away that whole thing about risk and 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 the potential of your character dying, don't you know? I don't see what the point is. I mean, <laughs> it's a lot like going to the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. So they summed up character creation. For, I looked in our forums. Uh, Doc Mindwipes uh, summed up character creation. He said it's very second edition like. Okay. Uh, I can handle that. Um, he, for the most part, it's pretty close. He likes the way it's kind of done. I have to read over his post again to get a little bit more familiarity with it, but he does say it's pretty close, so. Well, Doc Mindwipe's a good guy. He's got a pretty good. I, you know, I might look at it if he says to. He's in my uh, play-by-post game, incidentally. But so, hey, shout out to you. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm happy oh, with my first my edition. Apologies. You said it's not like second edition. Sorry. 
Oh, okay. Well, in that case, that's just more reason to stick to my beloved first edition. My apologies. I thought he said it did, but I don't want to misquote him. So basically, it's good reading on the crapper. Well, yeah, okay. Okay, I can handle that. Download it and read it on my little thing while I'm doing my best. Assuming you run out of toilet paper. (laughs) Meanwhile... Let's talk about something that actually has a lot of risk to it. Well, back at Wayne Manor. I had a list of pros and cons here of what the things were, but I just can't seem to find it again. Oh, well. Well, I guess it wasn't that important. <laughs> Seems to have disappeared. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm sure you can whip up the pros list pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. It's got a nifty cover. <laughs> Not like Frank Menser. It has a nice cover. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It has a nice box. <laughs> Packaging looks great. On the inside, it's bleh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to take a fair assessment of it. Uh, I, I, I will admit to that right now. I'll come to it with an open mind. Not so much that my brain falls out of my head, though. If so, you know, if I if I run across a group that's playing it and that I'm friends with, and that you know, and there's you're, you're no way of talking them out of it, then sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Wow. Yeah, if you're a masochist, sure. Yeah. Okay. Got a question. You're a level one <laughs> uh-huh. character. How many experience points do you think it takes to advance to level two? A thousand. Uh, it takes around fifteen thousand. Fifteen hundred, actually. No. Sorry. Take a zero. Three hundred. What? Yes. What? Oh, you know what? I was saying for first edition. No 300? Matter. Yes, 300. Well, you know, they want you to sp- feel special, and nobody likes being first level. I'm surprised they didn't just remove first level, and you get to start Dude. a third. It, it goes 300 to get the level 3s, 900. Level 4s, 207, 2,700, 6,500, 14,000, 23,000 for level 7. And it's all one universal table, isn't it? Yes. Oh, for so the GM DM is like, all right, you begin your adventure. Hey, congratulations, you've all leveled. Yeah. Yeah, no, you pretty much if you do the the obligatory barroom brawl, you're gonna level. Yeah. <laughs> no, you meet in the tavern. Okay, we're gonna beat the crap out of area. Okay, you leveled. Fantastic. Yep. Oh my god. Oh, oh wait, I guess you couldn't have players fighting each other because that wouldn't fit within the challenge table? The only problem I have with the entire thing is they're calling it D&D Basic, and it's not D&D Basic. Okay, I'm done. That's well, right. They're, well, they're taking it back. No. <laughs> we need to take it back. <laughs> We're taking it back. Fans have, have gone to calling it 5B right now. 5B. 5 Basic, 5th Edition Basic. Five bleh. <laughs> I call it fifth edi- five PC. Yes, <laughs> correct edition. That's right. Mm-hmm. I really don't have anything majorly bad to say about it, but it's just not my type of game. That's all. Yeah, it's, yeah, because yeah, just I'm skimming through it now, and it feels like it's a three point five four hybrid. If you t- took out the tactical combat of fourth edition, hey, look what we got—a game. Hey, if you took out the game from a boxed edition and put 
your first edition stuff in it, you'd have a game too. Yeah. Mm. With good art. Oh. Yeah. Actually, I did think of a use for those uh, fourth edition red boxes. When your red box gets a little too beat up, your original one, you could use that box to put hold your books. But it has hey. to go on it. That's right. Actually, I like the art in first edition too better, so yeah. I don't know. But it has the wizard's logo on it, man. That 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 you print off a sticker. That can be scratched off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, tangent averted. Now let's move on, <laughs> and yes. uh, let's head into our uh, segment. Our segment table matters for tonight. Typical. Of all the evil creatures in the world, I'd like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. All right, now for table manners, and we're going to be covering Module G2. The Glacial Rift of the Frost Giant Jarl. So continuing on with that G series of modules, and then we'll do G3, Fire Giant King. But... uh, just a kind of a, another uh, overview for everybody. Module G2 is was printed along with G1 and G3 uh, approximately in 1978. Part of that G series that encompasses that whole drow and queen of the demon web pits, that whole campaign arc that's become the... I don't know, the gold standard for probably all other campaigns to live by. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, so. Uh, The way it goes, it's seamless the way it moves right into the D series with the drow Mm -hmm. and then eventually into the uh, Q. I won't call that a series. It's only one adventure. Well, just into the final adventure. Right. I've always started out uh, with the the Temple of Elemental Evil series, Village of Hamlet and such, and you can literally take a first-level character, and move him all the way up past 10th level. Yeah, you can. You can definitely do it. And this is sort of the the G series is kind of that, um, well, it's that middle point. If you were going to look at this as a, a, a opera in three acts, this is this is act two, the G series. And and I look at G2, how I was saying the Vince Forrest story the show. No, I guess... Maybe there was a little bit of irony, a little bit of pun included that I look at G2 as like the Empire Strikes Back of the G2. Yeah, I was, just about to, I was saying that too. It's a you great know? adventure. Oh, yeah, no. it is. But a lot of people consider it of the G series the weakest of, of the series. Now, maybe as far as, as plot-wise, sure. It's not exactly the strongest as far as plot because like in G1, you're discovering – what is actually going on. You're just getting into the initial throes of what's going on with the giants. Who is this a Klavdra person? And who, how are they organizing all these different races of giants? So now you're getting into, okay, we're going to investigate another enclave of giants, particularly the frost giants. And the module starts off as your player characters either find a map from the previous adventure Mm-hmm. Or you found that gold, uh, that magical chain that you loop into a figure eight, and you're teleported there. Okay, so that's how your characters get there. Now, one of the things I I like to mention about this module is after reading through it, I th- I could be completely wrong in this, but I think in my opinion, this was the first adventure that I think that was made to where the environment of the module 
can be potentially deadly. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and oh, I very, think, very deadly. If you fall off the, the rift, I think you're taking D10 damage for every – or no, D6 damage for every 10 feet you fall. You're looking at – what I mean, a bottomless chasm of ice. You're well, well over a hundred points, possibly maximum. Well, yeah, yeah, they do max out, but that's a very good point. You know, one of the things is the, is the rift itself because you're not going into technically an enclosed area. You're going into basically uh, an ice canyon, a canyon of ice and snow and rock. Right, and you can only see. I think uh, they list in there. At the at the heights, you can only see thirty feet because of the blinding snow. Yeah, snow, um, occasional like fog, mist, clouds that kind of billow through the place. Now they do. Now uh, Gygax uh, indicates uh, that when the characters go into the rift, uh, there are area when you're going across the ledges. They're covered with ice and snow. And each turn the party moves along, there's a one in six chance that a party member has slipped and fallen. And three in six chance that a character falling will continue and slip and slide off the edge. Now, depending on where you're at when you fall, say, for example, it's right at the very beginning. It's a 250-foot ledge. So you... You're Take that gonna, times well divide it by what is it? It's well, it's ten. Well, it's gonna, six for every ten feet. So divide. Well, it by actually, 10. it's going to max out to ten dice of damage, right? Because what what it uh, it says in the module that your maximum is it, it's at ten dice because the cushioning effects of the snow below. Still, <laughs> the cushioning effects of, damage, of the snow with the jagged <laughs> rock. In well, it. yeah, but. Uh, the, there's there is a max out on the damage, but still, even then, if you think about it, if you're, and I'm sure this has happened. I know it's happening with my character, and I know it's happened to other characters. You're fighting along and you're moving, and you uh, might have a random encounter one of these ledge areas. You slip and fall. In fact, I would say even as a DM, you might want to exasperate the die roll. Maybe it's a two and six or a three and six of actually slipping and falling. I mean, you might have taken already. You might have already taken damage, and then now you're going to take another 10d6 from falling. They could potentially kill characters right off the get-go like that. Oh yeah, and if I when I'm running it, I would say I wouldn't even really do the 10d10. You know, the 10d6. I would simply give them mm-hmm. one more chance to catch themselves or have somebody else. And if they go off the deep end, uh, literally. I give them. I'll give them a, you know, a percentile chance to live. Yeah, I would maybe factor in uh, dexterity as well. If you got a high enough dex, you might get a modifier. Yeah. Maybe like yeah, above, you might. Maybe above fourteen or fifteen, you might get a plus yeah. one or however you want to do it as a DM. Because one of the beauties of first edition AD and D, use whatever you want as long as you're consistent with it. Right. So oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like in a Dragon Magazine, Frank Mentzer in a issue 70, page 13, he actually wrote about falling damage. Yeah. And, and he talked about giving a saving throw to get half damage because mm-hmm. he proposed a different system of damage that was cumulative, as in you take 1d6 damage for the first 10 feet, then an- plus another 2d6 for the next 10 feet, then another plus 3d6. 
So, so at thirty feet, you're taking sixty six damage. Right, and yeah, so which makes sense because you're you're going faster and faster. Exactly. Yeah. So with now, his, I'm sure it makes sense, but this is a little more. Um, I think in this module, what the the system they have here is a little more uh, giving. Yeah. That would be, that's a that's a killer right there. But you know, here's about. the thing: if you go through this module and you look at at what the players are up against, and it says in the intro to the DM. Uh, that your players, you really should have a party optimal size of about nine players averaging around ninth level. Mm -hmm. And if you look at just like guard rooms, there's over 200 hit points of creature in those guard rooms. Sure. You're talking. And so to me, I think the, the rift itself should be a killer. Yeah. It is it, it, in itself. It still is a killer because come on, 10 six sided dice of damage is still a lot. I mean, that could potentially wipe out, you know, your thieves in your party, your magic users, if they slip and fall. I mean, come on. That's if not killing them, it, you're going to severely wound uh, your party. You're going to really uh, put a, you're, you're really sucking up hit points on the party. You're going to be burning up potions of healing. You're going to be burning up uh, your healing spells. It's just, just from the environment. And more just on the environment, uh, the cave areas are also uh, dangerous. Uh, fireballs used in these areas, uh, they will they'll make the footing uh, uh, your footing very, very slippery because it's melting ice around you. Um, and for two to five turns after such magical fires used, and I'm quoting here, the area will also be filled with a thick fog, which will reduce vis visibility to, you know, five inches or, or, or no, five feet, actually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I'd put in the possibility of cave-ins, too, cave collapses. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there are some places here where there's some cave-ins. So I would also, I might, I don't know if I would, so magical fire, fireballs, your, your, uh, what else? Uh, other magic oh, lightning fire. bolts. What about a lightning well, bolt? I think a lightning bolt would be would do something similar. Well, you know? I think it could cause. I don't know if it would melt everything. I mean, it would definitely melt something wherever that lightning hit. But I think the bigger damage, uh, the bigger danger posed by a lightning bolt would be cave-ins from the you know yes, the vibrations. You got a big boom that goes across, right? And, then, mm -hmm. and, and there then, are areas in this. In the, in the, in the uh, glacial rift where cave-ins can definitely occur. So just in itself, I think it's very important to, to note that the environment itself, you're, you're talking about ice and snow and the possibility of slipping off those ledges. Use of magical fire could be dangerous because, you know, it's causing melting effects. It's making things slippery. Um, also, if you're one of those people who like to use the uh, the wilderness or dungeoneer survival guides, I believe in the, the wilderness survival guide. There are um, factors for wind chill and yeah. and uh, playing in an Arctic environment. We had a show about doing Arctic cold environments and the effects in here. You could put that in here well. Just and then oh and yeah then that, yeah exposed yeah. skin yeah. Mm -hmm. And in that, you almost the environment itself becomes its 
almost a monster in its own right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and not only that, but Matt, remember when you were talking on that one episode we did on dragons yeah. about uh, you know possible you know uh, how white dragons might you know hide their gold say in a big block of ice right. or they might. You know, we were talking about how a dragon might use the environment to their betterment. But here you also have giants. So you can start, you know, how are they using the natural dangers of the environment? Maybe like we said, you know, maybe we're talking about it looks like a solid bridge, but Mm -hmm. it's not. Right. You know, various traps you're you're thinking of. Sure. Mm -hmm. Traps that use the environment. So not everything has to be. I mean, there there could be some intelligent manipulation behind some of the dangers. Right. Absolutely. You step on this part of the uh, ice and all of a sudden it caves in and next thing you know the entire room around you's collapsing because you hit that one structural point. Mm-hmm. Or what if what if because they're intelligent, uh, the frost giants, you know, they're not Einstein, but they're not stupid. Uh, what if they, what if they're, what as a DM, you have them, if they find out that the party's in there making four A's, right. And, and in the, in it, you know, just like in, uh, studying of the hill giant, uh, chieftain, there is a cave where the, where the characters can kind of set up camp to regroup <laughs> after each foray. Well, what happens if they're so successful at evading the giants, but the giants decide to get clever, which they are. And so they start setting up these traps that will, in essence, herd the party into the directions they want them to go. Say the cave-in doesn't happen on top of the party. It's set to happen behind the party. Behind them. Right. Right. And maybe you have a bunch of, like, ogres and and frost giants hidden in the area. Once that cave-in happens, they attack. Right. Right. They're funneling them into a certain – they're making them go the way the giants want them to go. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like with the uh, frost giants, they throw large boulders. Perhaps when they throw the boulders, they're not throwing the boulders at the party. They're throwing the boulders at the terrain around the party. Right. Say they're crossing an icy bridge. Mm -hmm. Herding them into areas and trapping them. One of the party player uh, members could be like, ah, they're not very good aim. And the other, the magic would be like, what are you talking about? They've hit everything they've aimed at. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> if we don't get off this bridge right now, it's going to collapse. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> be like Sylvester Stallone in Cliffhanger. Yes. Yep. So kind of going on with that environment thing. So you go into the rift and there are, there are some, yeah, you run into a few Giants, depending on which way you go, you're either going to go left or right. But uh, one of the areas that uh, Vince definitely wanted to talk about, and, and me too, is uh, the ice cavern where there's the eight frozen and mutilated corpses. Basically oh, yeah, isn't that great? Used as a warning to others. Nice totems. Yeah, you know, again, using your environment to your advantage. In this case, a psychological thing. Oh, you know what would be a really cool way to to use those? Uh, I was just thinking, remember the beginning of Indiana Jones and uh, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Right. Mm -hmm. The very beginning, they move a a branch or something aside and they see that carved face. Oh, yeah. It, It freaks everybody out. What if these blocks of ice are covered in snow? But the way you describe them is like they almost look like pillars covered in, you know, semi-pillars ah. covered in. So they go, oh, well, I'm going to I'm gonna wipe the snow away. 
So they wipe the snow away and you're like, okay, there's a mutilated face staring out of the ice at you. Even better if they had, they were really crafty and put magic mouth spells on them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You are doomed. You could do it. We'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if you had like Sherpas or something, you know, like guides that gave you a couple of guides to NPCs or the players were smart enough to hire henchmen. You know, and they're they're going along with you, and you wipe the snow off of it to see what's in it, and of course you see that mutilated face staring back at you, and it's suddenly all your NPCs just freak out and run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this area with this ice cavern with all the mutilated corpses and how they're frozen into the walls, they uh. They have some potentially good magic items, some treasure, but you have to be, I don't know if I want to say, you have to be careful about it. And I think Vince, you, want, you had something to men, you mentioned uh, that, about this area that thought was interesting. Well, to get the wonderful items that possibly could be there that your players don't know about, you have to kind of chip away at this type, these ice blocks to get it out. Mm-hmm. So chipping away, obviously, there is a little thing note in here that says there's a 10% cumulative chance for every ice block that's chipped out that it'll rupture the ceiling, which has these icicles above the players that'll come down and crush them. Doing mm-hmm. Much like piercers. Yeah, upwards of 30 points of damage. So we were talking before the podcast how we would each handle this, and I just wanted to hear everybody's thoughts on how they would handle the cumulative damage. So we have players chopping away at one block of ice. You would roll the percentage just to see if something happens. Nothing happens. They successfully get whatever is in there out. They move to the next one. What are we doing now? We just add another 10% or Nick, what would you do in the situation? I, I think you would add another 10%. You would, like you said, the first run, one, you do that 10% roll, and you say it's cumulative. So let's say they got that first body out where they found. Maybe they found that ring of fire resistance. Irony ensues. <laughs> all right, it's all cold around here. I get a ring of fire resistance. Really? Um, yeah. Because it's, it's a Gygax module. That's how it works. Exactly. <laughs> and so you go to the next one, randomly pick pick a, you know, uh an adventure sickle to to uh, to chip out of the ice. Twenty percent chance that uh, ceiling's going to collapse. I think that was written in, at least in my opinion, because I guess maybe how they were put into the walls and everything that they're actually reaching towards the ceiling, and each one weakens the ceiling as they're taken out. Oh, so okay. I thought it was maybe, the ground. No, I, I was yeah, thinking, I think they're in the ground, yeah, but I, I thought they were like used as supports for the ceiling. Yeah, uh, the way I would describe them, I would think of them as like support columns. Yeah. So I would walls. just when, oh. when me describing, I describe it as this block actually goes all the way up into the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it was just a block of ice that they froze and placed there. Yeah, me too. Oh, I didn't think they reached the ceiling. I, I think it does. I think it but does. See, I think if, but I could even if it didn't reach the ceiling, you could still say that there's a chance that you're going to knock down the uh, the ice from above because the vibrations that are rocking the entire chamber is you know we're not talking you know it's not you're not a couple of hits and it's free. You're having to literally go to work on that. I'm thinking of right. yeah, the sound of ice. Yeah, and you're in a cave with echo. The sound of you echo. hacking away could be enough to cause a cave in. It's just like. 
how you could let alone might alert other giants in the area. Exactly. Yeah. I would say I would give it an increased five percent chance for each time you do it, uh, because it's weakening the 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 ones already up above if they so haven't already fallen. But I don't know if I give it a whole ten percent. I'd, I'd probably give it a, a give it an extra five. But there would be ways to go around that. For sure. say, uh, if you wanted to, what if the players said, "Well, I'm going to chip away at it, but way I'm going to do it, I'm going to throw my cloak over it, so I'm muffling the impact." Okay, I guess you, know, you might be you able to think about things like that. Sure, sure. Hmm. Or maybe That's you cast silence around. Oh, there's a good ah, one. You could cast you silence go. that would go around it. Mm-hmm. Or you could do what Ernie Gygax did, uh, which is <laughs> somehow chip the entire base uh, and then just throw them into a bag of holding until they thaw out. <laughs> that that, that is literally entire- why. He, That's why he created Kona Cold. Uh, uh, because when he played uh, with his dad, huh. his dad, you know, every time they would throw a fireball at something or a lightning bolt, Gary was very, very firm about uh, having, you know, destroying the magical items that they would get. So uh, uh, Ernie said that he came to his dad one day and said, you know, I, I, can I create a spell? And, and Gary said, OK, let's see what you draw up. And he drew up Kona Cold. And he said, this is great. It doesn't destroy any items. <laughs> oh. What, what if it made it so br- – uh, it dropped the internal temperature so low it made them brittle to where it, they, you could shatter them? Well, if you thaw them out, though, wouldn't they get their tensile strength back? Yes, they would. But I'm just saying, though, when that initial handling, you need to not – Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean metal – putting science into my fantasy game. Stop yeah. That. I'm talking you're more like science in my fantasy. Anything that's you're not putting your fantasy metal. in my science. Hey. Science. <laughs> she blinded me with science. It's just oh, a no. show. Sit back and relax. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I would say steel. I'd say certain items, maybe. Right. But it's. I don't think it's dry ice. I don't know. It's magical ice, and and okay. Matt, you know, fireballs are hotter than regular fire. That's so, a good question. Yeah. It's a good point. Matt. It's something that you could do, like. Say you were to freeze someone, the insta-freeze, and you knock them over, maybe they shatter. In carbonite? Yeah. (laughs) Think Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. Or Mr. Freeze. Finish him. (laughs) Finish. Mr. Freeze from the Batman movie. Anyway. (laughs) Freeze. Moving along. So you have that ice cavern. And there are a few other places on the, I guess, the upper half that are or points of interest. You have there's a couple of caverns that are kind of together where there's a whole bunch of ogre mercenaries, about sixteen of them. Then you um have I, I like this area. It's area number twelve. It's the lower bone cave where yeah. ice toads I have love taken that residence. Where the ice toads, there's this I guess huge reddish purplish amethyst stone that's kind of shape of a toad and the ice toads worship it yeah so yeah i love that i think i thought that was a pretty cool little thing i was like oh my gosh i didn't think ice toads were smart enough to do that apparently these ones are they're very smart i thought thought that i thought that was a pretty cool little addition there Um, yeah i like it 
I changed yeah. my room a little bit. I, I actually, when I run it, I take the ice toads out because there's another room with ice toads, and I actually put an Otyug in there. Oh, really? Like a you put Otyug in there? Well, I guess they need a bathroom area, huh? Oh, <laughs> Nick, gotta go. You gotta go. Yeah. Well, I like. I also like the addition of the Yetis. And there's a Yeti that fights with a plus three frost brand store sword. Irony again. <laughs> <laughs> like this is going to do no good against giants, but what the, Hey, maybe that's foreshadowing into the future. Hmm. Yeah. Know? Maybe yeah. the well, next, they're adventure. setting you up for the next adventure. That's yeah. what, exactly what's going on there. So, yeah. although it is, I give them kudos. It's the only event module I know of that features the Yeti. Mm-hmm. For, yeah. As far as I know. Yeah, you're right. Um, so you have that ice cavern. That's area 13. And then um, you also have the barracks complex. This is like, this is that's the meat grinder, really. You have, let's see, 10, uh, almost 20 frost giants you have to contend with in the barracks complex. And their average hit points are around 50. Yeah. So that's the one that could be a, a potential killer. Yeah, that's like the equivalent of in uh, G1 when you go into the feast hall and they have all the different giants having a feast. Mm-hmm. So when you think you're all done with that, you hopefully defeat all those frost giants and you move along to an area where there's a rune on the floor that says there's a warning. Mm-hmm. So if you know frost giant or you have comprehend languages, you know that this is a warning rune. A good reason that, to get comprehend languages. Yes. And the <laughs> only 10 feet beyond the west bend of the cavern, the walls appear to be covered with old, rough ivory. It is full of brown mold. Not good. Not good. And there's a decomposing body. They don't really give you the species, but I like to assume it's a frost giant since they yeah. insane. I would don't say a frost giant way. too. It's like this is why we don't go here. <laughs> <laughs> so now you got to deal with maybe brown, uh, you know, br- the uh, a brown mold, which you know sucks away heat from you. So that's a potential killer right there. Mm-hmm. And then you have a few more frost giants, and you have the visitors' caves. And I thought were interesting. Uh, I believe these are areas 24, 25, and 26 in the upper area. So you got some hill giants. They're from the Hall of King Snoor, who you've probably taken out previously. So these might be escapees. And who knows? Maybe Snoor escaped. Maybe he's with them, too. You could, have, you could run it that way, too. I mean, that the potential of that happening could, uh, uh, per, uh, is, is there. Then you have um, another visitor's cave with five stone giants, which kind of leads into another potential adventure, which we'll talk about, I think, later on. That was that was made by someone, a great fan of the G-series we're going to do. And, um, yes, and there are some fire giants here, too. So that's – so you have a little bit more of the – You have some ogre magi, too. Yeah, that was another one I was going to mention. The Ogre Magi, and that's on, I believe, the next level. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, but that's – I also found interesting, though, on the first level is um, the emissaries also bring various gifts that they're going to 
they're going to give to the frost giant Jarl. And, but one of the things I found is uh, the white pudding. I love that white pudding. Mm, white pudding. Tastes like vanilla. Uh, that is area 29. Uh, and that's in the rift area itself. There's a few other areas that they are in the rift area where there could be where these basically the white version of a black pudding. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And then you have the real nasty in the rift, the Remor has, where he has his own little domed area that he's made for himself. And it wasn't until years later, when I'm looking at the picture of the Remor has, you look in its mouth. I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, I I didn't notice until like years later. The feet, that, like, oh. Those are two feet. Oh, he's eating yeah. somebody. It was almost like initially I thought it was almost like tonsils. And then yeah, I'm like, oh, he closer. ate Bilbo. Because, <laughs> you know, there's no shoes on them feet, so it's got to be a halfling. Yeah, exactly. Know? And I'll tell yeah. you what, you get eaten by, you get it swallowed whole by Remoras, it's pretty much over. Yeah, pretty much. That's going to be a nasty, epic battle against a Remora has. Well, it and, may not be because if you've seen the movie Sharknado, you know that it's never over until it's over. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Except for the fact that the Remoras has like uh, – it's like a easy-bake oven inside of it. Yes. Well, whatever. It's not a shark, so who cares? It's not Sharknado. So, yeah, it's, and it's not a tornado. Add sci-fi movies aside. <laughs> now, you, you, you knock this puppy out though. You're, I mean the, the – the uh, treasure is really is, is way way worth it. You get a ring of three wishes, uh, and a plus two giant slaying so- sword. Uh, it's a and it's a bastard sword with an alignment. Uh, the alignment to suit the party if desired. Otherwise, it is lawful good. Why would it need an alignment though? It's not intelligence. Um. Is that one of those things that Gary decided it needed? Well, I think I think it's more along the lines of like Excalibur. You know, only a noble. You know, like you have to be noble of heart. You know, to pull mm-hmm. the sword like, from the stone. It, it's not intelligent, but it it will only you know only the most noble heart could lift Majolner. You know, Thor's hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in a situation like that, you have to be ideal for that sword uh, in uh, in your morality. So if you're suiting it for the party, the same rule would apply then. Yeah, I would I would make it neutral good, you know, because then you can have anybody who's neutral, good, lawful, good, or chaotic good wield the weapon. Yeah, but so. don't they say in the rules also that, uh, you know, it gives an alignment, but then it says if nobody in the party is that alignment, just choose one of the party members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is a little bit of a caveat to this whole treasure. Because at the end, if the monster is destroyed by heat, fireball, lightning, wall of fire, fire, fire elemental, etc., the treasures are lost, destroyed, or sunk into the ice and non-recoverable. Mm-hmm. I can see <laughs> <So>. that. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you uh, were used that lightning bolt on a remor has and killed it, and guess what? Mm. All the treasure's gone. Yeah. yeah, one thing about the G series, you can get, you can really make a, you can, excuse the pun, you can make a killing in magic items, but yeah. you're going to earn it every one of them. And you got to be careful because some of this stuff could be lost in the ensuing battle. Right. So mm-hmm. 
that's the first, I guess, call level plus the 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 rift itself of some pretty cool key encounters. Then you get to the lower areas, and right off the bat, area two is where <laughs> another potential TPK could happen because you don't have one dragon in this area. You got two. You got a mated pair, folks. <laughs> dragons. Yes. Large, ancient male and his medium-sized, very old female wife. So, luckily, these are the dragons which are they're, they're, you know, they're, they're uh, white dragons, so the chance of having magic is pretty small because they're not that smart. And these two are not that smart. So, still... It's two dragons, folks. <laughs> yeah, and it's and, and always remember it's your campaign. Like when I run my campaign, they're smart because I don't have stupid dragons in my oh, campaign. Right. But I mean these these two do not have uh magic capability, luckily. Right, right. Unless you again, unless you choose to, to make them they give have it that. To them. Yeah. Because I I actually think they're kind of underpowered. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, yeah, you're gonna tailor each encounter to your your party you know their strengths and weaknesses so you want to make it not necessarily a cakewalk but you want to you want to make it a a fairly decent challenge so if i remember correctly and i'm going to look this up real quick in the in the monster manual i believe that you know dragons of all different types they have a magic resistance oh yeah yeah especially that age i believe they do And also remember that it says that the male dragon surprises party on a three uh, out of six. 50% Mm -hmm. of the time, they're going to be surprised. The last thing you want is a surprise dragon. Right. The female surprises even higher rate. Yeah, and and here's the other thing to consider. Just getting close to the dragons, I mean, as we were saying earlier, they're probably very clever and they probably manipulated the environment around them so that it's not – you're not just going to be able to walk right up to them. And you're going to – you may go across a patch of ice that's only about half an inch thick but covered in snow or something, you know. Actually, their magic resistance is standard. So I'm thinking – I think I, I think I'm thinking of like second edition dragons where they do have. Yeah, like I, I use the stats for second edition dragons. That's one thing I do. My do. dragons are a little more nasty too because I also give them attacks for like a wing buffet or a tail lash. Yeah, just like so, out of Dragon Magazine. Yeah. That's the one. That's the chart I use. There's a chart out of Dragon Magazine back in the day where they give all those sorts of special attacks. Then, which gives, in my opinion, dragons a little bit more. Uh, a little more of an advantage towards a party because, I mean, you got the whole subduing thing that's going against them. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I take the second edition dragon stats, but I give them the type of attacks that you'd see in that one dragon issue. Plus, like I said, I, I don't have stupid dragons, so all my dragons are oh. genius or above. Oh, okay. So you do no, your when dragon. I say stupid dragons, I mean... I don't believe in a low intelligence dragon in my campaign. That doesn't mean you don't have to, but in my campaign... Dragons are not pets per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my campaign, these dragons are actually advisors, and they're probably doing a lot of manipulating. Right, like these two white dragons. If you play them straight out of the book, they're of uh, average te- intelligence, but they're on the low end. So their mm-hmm. intelligence is probably nine. 
Oh. All right, which to so, other dragons means they're they're very slow. They're morons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So and yeah, I, I forgot that the magic resistance for dragons in first edition, it's standard, you know, they they have standard saving throws. But based upon their hit dice, their saving throws are gonna be really, really good. So <laughs> Yeah, and, and based on their hit dice, they don't normally they don't usually have very many hit points either. That's the one that's there aren't a lot of things that I don't like about first edition. I like the game more or less the entire thing, but I never did like how they handle the dragons. And, and I did think that was something good they did in second edition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, if I was running this, I would make definitely the, the dragons a bit of a more of a challenge, but also maybe keep it in mind, you know, maybe they just had that huge battle of all the. Oh yeah. But here's the thing too. If you can get through a room full of 16 giants, Two of these dragons aren't going to be that big of a – they're, they're yeah. going to be – you know. so that's another re- – of course. Yeah, that's another reason why I like the dragons to be uh, as tough as possible yeah. and I like the, the players to real, you know, well, more beefy. realize. Yeah. yeah, more beefy and they're using the environment to their advantage. Sure, and they will. I would play them – if not necessarily smart but crafty like the giants themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got a pretty good uh, treasure yield out of that too. Quite a bit of, uh, I, w- I don't know, say a lot of coinage, a lot of uh, different types of, I don't know, knickknacks, but jewelry, gems, some magic items. Uh, set of black plus three chainmail, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, plus two dagger, um, a potion of fire resistance. <laughs> Irony again. <laughs> yeah, and that's not the first time we see fire resistance items or, in, or in this module, which this is module. all ice and snow. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's your that's your cavern with the two with the mated pair of the 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 dragons. So I don't know. What, would you do anything different, Vince, on the dragons themselves? No, I would probably play them intelligently like, like Chad does. I don't have yeah. the creatures in mind that are just go do 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 and attack, you know. Yeah, I, I would play- I wouldn't yeah. I agree. In my I game, would- like I said, in my game, they're actually they're the real brains behind what's going on mm-hmm. in with the frost giants. Now they're the ones who they're not overall the brains. Obviously we know uh, later on that the whole thing is coming from the drow, right. but but they're the ones in connect, in direct contact with the drow, and they're manipulating the jarl, who is in turn sending orders on to the hill giant chieftain. So if you take out it's, the dragons, he's taken out a large jarl. portion. It's the jarl. Aren't jarl. You okay, jarl. Uh, you're right. I did uh, like uh, Norwegians. It's yeah, Norwegian. Frost giant jarl. <laughs> but yeah, if it's you take Sven. out the dragons, you take a big. You, you've made a big blow against everything that's happening in it and it actually mm-hmm. beefs up the importance of g2 considerably like we were talking earlier you know it makes it a critical uh piece of the series because at least in my game by taking out the dragons you you sever a lot you you know anything from any hill giants that are surviving and really all the frost giants uh, they no longer have their major connections back to the drow because the drow in my game are working through the dragons. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's one way you can play. Absolutely. Now, another area that mm-hmm. I thought was interesting because, and I think even has more of a potential TPK 
to the party is the guest cave with the ogre magi. Because you got five of them. Okay. And just to remind everybody, you know, these, you know, they're Japanese ogres. They're not. And I think we talked about ogre magi, the ogre mage in a, in an oriental adventure segment, just to refresh everybody's memory though. They have magic abilities. They can fly. They can become invisible, cause darkness, polymorph the human. And also they can turn person once per day, sleep once per day, assume gaseous form, and basically create an 8D8 Kona cult. Yep. So you got five of these guys in the Emissary's Cavern, which is Area 6. That, in my opinion, that could be the, that could be the killer right there. Because you're not, you're not just dealing with one of them. You got five of them to deal with, and they can, they can you know, cause darkness and they can start throwing cones of cold everywhere, man, your party is going to be hurting big time. They, if they are not big, careful. They open a big can of whoop ass. Basically. Yeah, and you know, can of Japanese whoop ass just came out at you. I actually debated whether I would use them in my, in mine, because, you know, essentially they're Oni. Uh, and, and at first I didn't want to use them. I was thinking of creatures I could substitute with them okay. uh, because I don't like my genres or my, you know, I like everything to match, but then I started thinking about it. And if you had something like an, an Asian uh, based uh, creature there, smart players should be looking at that and saying, okay, they're not dressed like anything I've seen. This is completely foreign the way. I mean, even the giants, they dress in a fashion that Western, I yeah. guess you'd say, fantasy is you know, familiar with. So smart players should be looking at this and saying, how far does this thing reach? Because exactly. these guys are obviously from a different part of the world. Mm-hmm. And a nice addition to that is they are in possession of a scroll Signed by the Jarl, he's offering the Lord of the Ogre Magi a hundred thousand gold valued gems plus whatever loot his minions garner. So, if that doesn't tell the party, holy cow, this thing is really big than bigger than what we thought. If he's offering like a hundred k in in gems and gold and and whatever else he can get their hands on, this is a pretty big deal. I, and I, yeah, I think, uh, you, like you said, it's like because they've come from a whole other foreign land. The the conspiracy of giant creatures is spreading far and wide throughout the world. <laughs> right, right, yeah, and and again, they're they're very smart. Uh, oh yeah, oh my and God. you know, you might if you were running it in the fashion that I ran it, you may even have them talking directly with the dragons. Oh, I I remember running the Hackmaster version of this. Yeah, this was a pretty nasty area for my party. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because one of the, the, the leader of the five ogre magi in this area had a um it was a magical pike. And it's a um what what the heck is it? It's it's a all all pike of speed. So it's like a scimitar speed, but it's a but it's a pike. So, and, and this is what the ogre magi had. Yeah, 
So kind of so like a Naginata of speed. Yeah, he had a pike of uh, all pike of speed. It actually hits before a scimitar of speed because of the reach. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that would be like a Naginata rule then. You could because that that has a Naginata had almost a scimitarish mm-hmm. looking blade on it, and you know I had reach. Yeah, but it was a, it was an all pike because it was a huge long pike that he. Used. Oh, okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, this was a very nasty area for uh, my party members. But uh, what was the module for Hackmaster called? The same? You just use the same thing, or it's called Annihilate the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got it right here. Annihilate the Giants. How how close is it to this module? It's pretty darn close, actually. Pretty darn close. Um, in fact, I can look it up right now, like the uh, different like magic items. Why did this module get like used and abused by me? <laughs> yeah, this was a this was a tough one for everybody. Um, but where is it? Da, 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 da. The and then it renames some things, but uh, um, here we go. Where they have the um, where is it? So Hackmaster did one for each of the giant modules as well. Well, they they basically took the compilation of against the giants uh-huh. and made it into and, and converted that one. Gotcha. So that's that's what they did. So where is the the area where they ran into the? Gosh darn it! I can't find it. Bad <laughs> no, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, but it was an all pike of speed. So <laughs> they didn't like that, but they got it. they did get the magic on. We're like, well, this is the coolest thing ever. But um, Speaking of other magical items in this particular area, though, I like that box of holding. That's very cool because it's like a Chinese puzzle box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was cool, too. I thought that was really neat. And irony ensues because you can find two potions, uh, one of them of frost giant control. <laughs> yeah. And a cloud giant yeah, that's strength. Good one. to bring to a peace conference is is a potion to control your. But hey, what if? What if the ogre magi? I would have that potion hidden well because yes. maybe they brought that to get a good. That tells the players an important thing too. Mm-hmm. That, maybe if the if the negotiations were going to go bad, we're going against the ogre magi. Mm-hmm. They might try to manipulate things, and yes. if they're willing to do that. If they're willing to manipulate relations here, so the ogre magi was gonna, you know, drink the potion and say these aren't the droids you're looking for. Yeah, uh, uh, but, all right. I think you want to give us sixty percent. Yes, you want us to give us a million gold pieces. I want to give you a million gold pieces. <laughs> move along, move along, <laughs> move along, and a necklace of fireball missiles, which is great to have, but again, like we talked about, could be potentially dangerous in this environment. So, mm-hmm. um, moving along in the the lower complex, so you have that emissary's cavern. Again, you got a whole bunch more uh, of ogres that you have potentially moving into the servants' quarters. Um, there is over at the great cavern hall of the Jarl, though area eleven. There is a watchful frost giant, and he's armed with a ballista. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I just imagine this guy willing in this thing, like, say hello to my little friend. <laughs> a little bit of uh, humor. Sorry. Oh, yeah, which to him would be like a, maybe a long bow. Or yeah. Maybe a short bow. But still, he's like, he's standing there holding a ballista. I love it. Yeah, That's well, cool. actually, it'd be like a crossbow for him, wouldn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, but... You know, you're you're aiming this thing at you know it's gonna do how much? <laughs> Three oh, it's gonna, hit points it's of damage. Like, yeah, it's like shooting a harpoon at somebody. And I would, and if I were to adjudicate this, I would say it reloads as a normal long, uh, 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 heavy. Yeah, I'd give him. I would. I would probably say it reloads as a normal crossbow. Because yeah, because it be, it's it's being wielded by a frost giant. Yeah, right. So, um, then you have some more other other frost giants guard area there's some fire giantesses and some ogres that work in the kitchens that cook the food um there's a kennel with some polar bears <laughs> which i thought that was interesting and then there's the trophy hall i like the trophy hall um yeah, trophy hall is one, pretty I, fun. I one i like the picture that trant that tramp made i think it's one of his better works and um, just all the different things that the Frost Giant Jarl accumulated over the years in his, I guess, conquests and his exploits. So he has uh, two normal shields on the wall, a heavy crossbow of speed. That would be incredible to have. Uh, some some two-handed swords. Um, there's... On the walls, there's a cave bear pelt, a Sioux monster hide, wyvern skin, a rack from a giant stag, teeth and claws from an umber hulk, giant scorpion claws, horns of a woolly rhino, and on and on and on. Just some really cool stuff along the walls that he's, you know, claimed as his trophies. Uh, one of the shields, I guess one of the shields is a plus two shield. So... Uh, what else? There was a walrus tusk, but one is actually an ivory-covered iron horn of Valhalla. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, another very handy magic item that you're going to need later on, for sure, in this series. I mean, particularly when you're going to go beyond the G-series, I think. When you're going into the scent of the depths of the earth and all that, you're going to need the extra firepower that this iron horn is going to get. It's going to be summoning uh, berserkers for you. Hooray. So, yeah, I think you're going to need it before you get the G three. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And a suit of elven plate mail plus two. Wow. <laughs> but again, there's a trap. <laughs> there's a little bit of a thing. Yet. There's something you gotta be careful of. So if the, there's a one magic shield. If you take it down, the, there is this Shido's Shido Shido skull. Boy, that's hard to say. Um, it'll scream alarm robbers. To the type. Yeah. Wait a minute. I thought that was the one. If you took the shield down, uh, a spear came out at yeah, you. There's a spear trap that goes off too. Yeah. The uh, I, I think no, that's the shield. Yes. Yeah, you touch. If you touch the I horn of Valhalla, that's when the screaming. Alarum. Yes, alarum, robbers. Thank you, Gary. Uh, now, it's the shield if you take down. That's where the spear trap goes off. It's the walrus tusks. I'm sorry. That should be changed. <laughs> I read it wrong. 
No, no, so, the, no, the alarm should be changed. Yes. Maybe they have a speech impediment. <laughs> Again, you can do it as you see fit for your adventure. Maybe it shouts out in Frost Giant. It does. Intruder alert. Intruder alert. Oh, I guess it does, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, yeah. It does in Frost Giant. All you know, you have a you have a sheet of skull that's going to be yelling at you. So that's not good anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's got the skull of a dwarf on the wall with a crown on it. It'd be cool to kind of make up a backstory to that, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that would be good. Again, you can, you can really tie in, uh, you know, what if – because one of the big complaints I always hear is, is your reasoning for being in these adventures. Well you – know? I would say if you're a dwarf, maybe you're there to recover uh, uh, a lost king or something. Well, you just found out what happened to him. Yeah, there he is, mounted on the wall. <laughs> I think your your wish will be granted somewhat. After we do G3, we have G4 through 9 we're doing. Yeah. Which kind of does side tricks and backstories to a couple of things that happen in these modules. Mm-hmm. By the infamous Thorkhammer. Yes. Mm. Thorky. Professor Thork, Thork Hammer, and I think he goes by mm-hmm. something else, Thork. So anyway, continue, Nick. Yeah, really, the, and there's two other areas. You have the, the Jarl's Private Cavern, and which is Area 21. And then there's 21A, which is kind of a hidden area. But this is where you're going to fight the big bad guy, the Jarl's Private Cavern. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. And he, I believe, he fights as a fire giant. If I remember, no, I think he fights as a cloud giant or storm giant, he f- doesn't he? His wife fights as a cloud a, giant. Yes, that's it. So, and he has two winter wolves as pets. So, and then, yes, and then there's his his wife, the uh, Grugnar. He fights as a cloud giant with respects to damage. Mm-hmm. So. He fights as a cloud giant, so he's pretty nasty. Um, so he is armed. He's got a huge shield. Uh, it's plus one, plus four versus missiles. He's got a plus four two-handed sword. So he's going to be really hard to take down. Not just and and she's going to fight too. And I would not use the normal two-handed sword damage for that sword yeah. because and, in his hands, that's yeah, a lot bigger than a, mm-hmm. that's two-handed for yeah. him. Yeah. And she fights as a fire giant. So <laughs> she's pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. And plus you got the two winter wolves, which if I remember, winter wolves, they can breathe out like a cone of frost. They have a cone of cold. Cone yeah. of frost. Yeah. Yeah. So you got that going against you too. But again, treasure yield can be really, really good here. Eight potions, speed, extra healing, delusion, stone, storm giant strength, uh, uh, poison, oil, slipperiness, healing, and human control, and a bunch of gold and gems. And giant socks uh, in box four. Yeah, there you go. And then they come across, uh, there is a bed, a small table, chair, two stools, a chest, trunk, various odds and ends of clothing. The walls are hung with pelts and rugs of no worth, and there is a trunk that has a secret drawer. And there's six parchment scrolls and tubes. So the ones there's a curse scroll. One has a map to the Hall of the Fire Giant King. 
Yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> another one has a protection from magic scroll. Uh, another scroll is just gibberish, but if you read it, it's explosive runes. <laughs> and there's a scroll with two spells. Yes, I like that first one. Crystal Brittle. Yeah. No, that's nice. a nice one. An energy drain. But Crystal Brittle, nasty. Cast it on any metal item, and it turns it into a crystalline st- structure where you can just break. And here's the thing, too. Yeah, Again, a smart nasty. player will realize that if if they have spell scrolls, then that means somebody in the room can probably use those spell scrolls. Now, and I would be smart enough to copy that in my spell book. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say the wife is a spellcaster. Or they were a gift. Yeah, but why would you give a gift to a, I mean, they wouldn't use it. They would be like, oh, that's nice. Maybe maybe they were, uh, um, maybe they got them off some adventurers that they killed. Yeah, possibility. I just, I'm a firm believer that magic items aren't there to just be gotten. They're there to be used against the party. Okay. You can, yeah. But yeah, it's however you, you could say that they were, you know, hey, we'll give them spell scrolls. And then they find mm-hmm. out later they can't read. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, this got to be worth something. So they tuck it away. <laughs> How many times have the player characters in your own party have done that? It's like, I don't know what it is, but, but I'm keeping it. Something. It's magical. <laughs> so I'm keeping it. It's got to be worth something to somebody. So yeah. that's the private cavern. And then you got this area A, 21A off to the side. Now, I, I got to read this because this is this is a kind of a tough area for a party. So it says, beneath the wall hangings on the eastern portion of the north wall is a hidden escape tunnel. It is a natural passage about one mile long, which turns south and exits to the base of the mountain slash glacier area. Out of sight of any near the rift, the alcove to the northwest appears empty. But if it is examined with care, there is a one in six chance per person examining the area they will note a thick iron bar protruding from the wall about 10 feet above the floor. The bar moves downward and transports wherever or whoever is, whatever, whoever is standing on the floor of the alcove to the spot some 50 feet distance from the entrance of Snurr's Hall, the Hall of the Fire Giant King. (laughs) So, oh, what's this lever do? Boing! They're gone. (laughs) Oops. Exactly. (laughs) And apparently empty ledge though along the southwest wall is the resting place of an iron box totally invisible remember that totally invisible and strongly locked not just locked but strongly locked (laughs) not weakly locked strongly locked yes i object stressfully sir so uh locks instead of one lock yes Unless special magic like true seeing, sight spell, gemising, etc. is available to the party, is detectable only one in six, but one chance, one chance for any party for the magic on the chest is strong and it does not radiate any magic or clue. So it's invisible, but you only get a, so it's like super, super. So you might trip over it, in other words. You might. You fall and off the ledge by And it's a one in six chance just for the whole party, and they only get one chance. So that's this. This doesn't mean this is a this is a gimme to anyone for without any stretch of the imagination. So 
even if you do find it, the box contains a poisonous gas, which lets out a cloud of 30-foot gas, and your save is at minus three. Mm-hmm. But inside is a hammer of thunderbolts. Okay? That's awesome. Which everybody always wanted. <laughs> yes. A pearl of wisdom. Yeah, the cleric's going berserkowitz now. Uh, a set of eight small jars of pigments. And I had to look this one up before, like I said, the Nolzer's Marvelous Pigments. And I'll get back to that. A ring of invisibility. The, mag- uh, the, the thief just went crazy, too. And a wand of paralyzation. But it doesn't say how many charges in the wand, so I guess you just do the standard roll. Yeah. So could be one or 99. <laughs> or 100. Mm-hmm. So anyway. So that... Now that Nolzor's marvelous pigments, I had to look up in the the DMG. Basically, <laughs> this is a this is such a cool magic item because you use these pigments. Basically, whatever you draw out with the pigments, it becomes that thing. So if you draw a bastard sword, boom, you got a bastard sword. You draw a wagon, boom, you have a wagon. You draw J. Edgar Hoover, boom, you have J. Edgar Hoover. No, you can't make living things. Sorry. <laughs> but it can also be used to make an excellent escape route, all of Bugs Bunny. Yes, you, you can draw, draw a tunnel, that boom. tunnel, and it's, it's a tunnel. tunnel. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But you can make armor and weapons with this. So if you had, I don't know, some hirelings that don't have enough armor and other equipment, you can just use these eight small jars of these. Nolzer's Marvelous Pigments, and equip them with all with plate mail, shields, bastard swords, and composite longbows. Yeah, that's assuming you can draw, though. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, If you're reduced to stick (laughs) figures. Yeah. No. But that this is where you take this to town and you find the artist. And he maybe he will be a master craftsman using these pigments. I would think maybe like a magic user would have some skill in artistry. He's got to make magic. He has to, you know. Maybe I would make that a role, though. I don't know. Every campaign, again, every campaign follows its own house rules. You go to draw the. I know it doesn't say in the. Yeah, it doesn't say for the, the pigments you have to have some sort of skill to do but, but I always wondered if they thought it was more for basic things like a tunnel or something. No, it, it, you can make uh, – it says uh, normal inanimate things can be created. Doors, pits, flowers, trees, cells, not monsters, people, so no Jagger, Hoover, golems, huh. and the like. They apply it to a surface and it takes one turn to depict an object with pigments – Objects of value depicted by pigments, precious metals, gems, jewelry, ivory, etc., will appear valuable, but will be tin, lead, brass, bone, whatever. Normal armor or weapons can, of course, be creative, be created. Right. Well, I, I, I think in that situation, as we're really with any situation in the game, uh, you as the DM will decide, you know, to whether you know you could go like Nick was saying, and anybody could use it. Or you could go along the lines of, say, like what Matt and I are thinking, where you, you, it's something to be saved for later when you find somebody, you know, with the creative flair. Yeah. Or if you've been role playing that your character is an artist for a long time. See, this is where I would say if I don't want a player to just suddenly say, oh, well, by the way, did you know that I was a, an artist my whole life? I'm like, dude, you're 10th level and this is the first I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but. 
but in that situation, you it's your game. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah. Now maybe if you were a bard, I would be like, okay, you might be able to draw. I'm I'm thinking also going to lines just because the pigments are magical. You know, whatever you use in the draw with them. Well, maybe whatever you see in your mind's eye, the pigment depicts on the possibility. Ground. It's magic. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, that's the know, kind of the angle I was going with. I might have know? to side with Nick on this only for the simple fact that magic users have to have a steady hand to draw and copy things into a book. So they yeah. would some basic artistry skills. Well, yeah, but I don't know how much art there is in in writing. Well, there's a difference. I mean, they between... have to be able to write the symbols, but they don't. Ha- they don't. They have to. For this, you need to know perspective. You need to know. Like I don't you, know. You need I, to be... know the parts of like plate mail, so you don't leave out like a right. bolt. A magic that's user would not magic. know that. That's why I was going with the angle. You know, pigment is magical. Whatever you're thinking in your mind, you draw the magical yeah. pigment depicts that. Yeah, for that, me, it's... It draws from that. Taking too much into it now. Yeah, for me as a DM, it's far funner to make them roll or have yeah, them Yeah, you want to screw the players. Oh, no, I want <laughs> them to stretch. Yeah. That is what I always say. I don't want to screw the players. No. I want them to stretch. I, I, I just, you know, tell me how you're doing it. Right. And make it make sense. Okay, I'll go yeah. along with that. Okay, so screw the players. I, Good. See, I thought. See, I thought Vince was the evil DM. <laughs> <laughs> there is something highly amusing. They draw this plate mail, but they forgot the one bolt. So the first time it impact in comment, their armor just falls off. Oh come! Or on. they draw the plate mail, but there are no straps. Right. Oh. Or they <laughs> or they didn't draw the perspective right, and all they got was the front. Yeah, don't move or the armor will fall off. Yes. Oh my goodness. Now you're thinking a little too much into it now. Yeah, I think you're yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, let's just say that you know, we agree that each G, each DM is free to interpret it as they wish. No, incorrect. Nick and I are correct. Let's go. <laughs> and that but being said, much, and that's pretty much the module right there. You do hopefully find a map and you go on to and then you pull the lever and boom, bamf, you're there. At the Hall of the Fire Giant King. But okay, so that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. What do we do? Yeah. Five, five, five out of five swords again? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I give it five because being the original, the, the first module I've ever seen where the environment can be harmful to the party. As far as I know, this is the first published module to do that. It's very heavy on combat. Very. Oh, yeah. Very mm-hmm. combat heavy. Uh, like you said, the Empire is back. <laughs> yeah, this is the Empire Strikes Back of the G-Series. Yes. Players will die, and you will laugh and go home with a satisfied smile on your face. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, uh, it's a great adventure. Now, one thing I would, again, mention is that, you know, like any adventure, make it Make it work the way you want it to work, the way you're, you, you'll have fun running it, the way your players will have fun playing it. And, you know, in my case, you know, like there's the room with the 16 giants or, or whatever. I think, you know, if you're if you're if your players have been making repeated forays into it and are, are really taking things out, odds are they're not even going to be in that room. They're going to be out looking for you. Oh, sure. And that, I think it says at the beginning of the module, if you make multiple forays into the area, the giants are going to be prepared. Right. Oh, yeah. And and part of that is the players, you know, as the DM, remember, if your players are just going in 
and and literally going right back and say they you know they kept room A, B, C down the hallway, then they decide, oh, we're gonna go back to the cave, we're gonna rest, we're gonna, you know, and then they come back the next day and they decide to hit D, E, you know, and they keep doing this. The giants aren't stupid. I get, I get a, uh, uh, you know, when they hit, by the time they get to F, the giants know that one's coming and there's a big ambush waiting for them. And that could be, that could end the adventure right there. But you know what? In the case of par- uh, party members who are just, you know, so many people I see playing uh, against the giants, I've heard a lot of people complain to say it's, it doesn't make sense that you can't really win it if, if, if you know, why would you build a... I always say, look, if you go into the adventure and you're just trying to kill everything in every room, then your odds of, of being victorious, at least in my game, are probably pretty slim. That You have to treat it more like surgical strikes. Don't go in and try to massacre the, the giantesses and their children. You know, Save it for rooms that matter or look like they matter and try to be random when you go into it. You know, uh, feel but free if to. They subs- want to go. They they're free to go in guns a blaze. Oh, sure, they can do that. And as a DM, if if you feel fine, just letting them do that, and the, and the giants are just gonna, you know, it's your game. And I'm just yeah. saying, in my game, that if I was running that game and the players did that, they I don't know if they'd ever make it to the second. To oh, the I agree. I I agree a hundred percent. You got to play the giants smart, right? And don't series. be afraid to manipulate the fact that you have all these giant emissaries out there, right? And the ogre magi, you know, you have potions of giant control, and and not to mention the just the natural distrust. I mean, the cave giants mm-hmm. aren't even totally firm yet on the on the alliance, right? Uh, they're trying to feel out whether this is even going to be uh, successful and in their best interest. You could totally start creating dissension amongst the giant ranks if you sure. play it smart, manipulating them against one another. You know, and 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 I like the idea of taking out some of the ogres and putting ice trolls in there. You know, and I already said I took out some of the uh, ice toads and put you know neat yugs in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can you can move things around so that even if you know your players and you listen to this show today it's not like they're looking at you the dm now smiling saying well we know what to expect you could smile right back at them and say really you don't know anything yet right you don't know jack pal (laughs) (laughs) you can't handle the truth you can't handle the truth yeah i mean but yeah definitely these are things that i think that's important to think about when you're running the game is just use common sense yeah from both ends of the table Mm-hmm. Very true. All right, let's head into our last segment of the creature theater. Ah, creature feature. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla? Creature feature theater. And now we go into the creature feature, and we're actually going to talk about a creature that is basically proliferates this entire module, the Frost Giant. One of the mid-range giants, when you look at their uh, hit dice, uh, they typically inhabit castles, although their lair is large frigid cabins. Caverns, albeit a large frigid cabin, kind of would be amusing. <laughs> 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 that, and then the, there's also a pro- 
50% probability they'll have one to six winter wolves because like all giants, there's a, have a chance of having a large pet with them. And that's some, something that all giants have. And kitty. Yes. Kitties. And if you encounter giant snow leopards, yes, snow leopards, or it's like the hill giants actually have a bunch of different ones. They have, you have to, but with the frost giants also, if you are in their lair and there's more than six, this is where you also get to meet the family because numbers five and six out of the group of more than four will be females. And then seven and eight would be the young giants. And and it says, yeah, roll percentile determine size. Which is something I was actually kind of wondering about because when you go into just the in the monster manual, the section about giants, it says young giants will have hit points and do damage according to the percentage of a normal adult male indicated by the die roll. So does that just mean you roll a percentage and just whatever percent that is, take the percentage of the uh, hit dice of an adult and that's what they do? I guess. Yeah. So like if that I kind of sounds like yeah so like a frost giant's ten hit dice so what if you roll one percent like for like infant baby frost giant one hit dice yeah one hit die and so that that's just one of those that I read I'm just like I think this is what it means but by golly that's clunky mm. yes as we basically keep coming back to. Child monsters just cause chaos. Yes, they do. Yes. <laughs> they're best to be avoided. I'll be... They're evil. Should we kill the children? I don't know. No. It's a moral quandary. Yes. <laughs> well, depending on the giant, they may or may not actually even be evil. Because... Right, like stone giants. Or cloud giants. They can right. be good. Or or your, yeah. Or uh, stone, yes, uh, storm giants, too. And, mm-hmm. Yep, so... Not all giants are evil, which actually makes this module even more interesting because you have these various alignment uh, giants all gathering together. Why are these neutral stone giants hanging out with the chaotic evil giants? And then, Mm -hmm. oh, there's a cloud giant. They're neutral. Hmm. Yeah, but but cloud giants are either 50% 50 of them are good, 50% of them are evil. Right. So maybe you have the evil cloud giant siding with the other giants to feud with mm-hmm. the good cloud giants. Maybe. Yes, giant civil war. But, yes, the... Oh. So are frost giants Sven and Inga and whatever sort of Scandinavian names I can think of? Because that's how you think of frost giants. Yes, they should be <laughs> on Asgard. Yes, exactly. Well, that's what they really took with... The fire and frost giants—they were fashioned after the right. ones out of the Norse myth in here. Right. Gotcha. Right. So. And All the, right. Yeah, and then also with Sven the, and Orlov. Yes. Also, something I found amusing with the frost giants is okay. They can, or and actually, all giants—they can throw their large boulders, but they can also catch them. <laughs> I, I'm imagining you have these giants doing battle with each other, and they're chucking boulders at each other, and it looks like they're just playing catch. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that could just be interesting if something were to happen to where the giant – say the business meeting goes wrong, and the giants break out in the battle amongst themselves, and the party watches it, and they just see these giant boulders being thrown back and forth and caught and thrown and – 
and then the party playing catch. Yes, and the party has to navigate through this mess. And then there is a what if the negotiations go south? Exactly, yeah, like what you're saying, Matt. Now they're trying to make their way through these through the rift, and there's a there's a war going on between the giant right. factions. So now they have all these boulders flying everywhere, and the various giants do have a percentage chance of dropping the missile. So boulder gets thrown. Oh no, the giant dropped it. Now the party has Humble. to start. Yes, the party starts having to dodge these boulders, just for a little added bonus. Yeah, what if what if Grugnar has a rival and he's playing his own game? Right. Or or perhaps Sven. Yeah. Or Sven the Giant uh, has his own faction. Yeah. Uh, he's going to go in there. He's going to take over the hobbies. Right. Or perhaps the uh Ogre Magi they uh didn't like the sales pitch. And <laughs> the the Right. Or the, we know for a fact the cave giants are not decided yet. Oh, the stone giants? Yeah. Yeah, the stone giants, I mean. Yeah, they're on the fence. Right. Because they're neutral. Right. Perhaps you could even have the party come across some of these giants that maybe they can actually converse with some of the more either intelligent and uh, more non-evil alignments that you'd be like, you know, you really shouldn't do this because this will probably what happened. You can give them the sales pitch on why the other giants are going to double cross them. Mm -hmm. And giants aren't that bright. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you could totally you could totally start a lot of dissension, and that I mean, and and even if you don't start the dissension as the DM, I would be making rolls every now and then. Maybe I would make a couple of rolls throughout the adventure to see how the talks are going. And you know, by nature, giants, especially of different types, I mean that's one of the things that I think is mentioned in in G one is that one of the reasons. Uh, people are so shocked by this as they've never seen an alliance like this before. Right. Imagine the problems and the and the and the logistics, uh, you know, the hurdles that the uh, that the drow are having to, you know, they're constantly probably having to smooth over uh, uh, issues. Right, right. And just imagine, say, there's like three of the giants or groups of giants are pro going through with the master plan, but one isn't. So those three right. attack the. Maybe the stone's like, nah, we want nothing to do with it. And the rest are the, are like, oh, yes, you will. And they attack the stone giants. So you got like a three-on-one battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, li- I like the idea of, of you know, expanding that throughout the, you know, if, if the DM uh, makes a roll that says, uh, oh, uh, Grugnar just, uh, you know, just basically got angry and, and killed the emissary from the friar giants, you know, or killed the emissary from the... Uh, from the stone giants, uh, now you have all-out war going on in 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 here, and and things are really going to get hairy, right? Or maybe if the party kills the ogre magi, it gets back to their homeland that they died at this base, and they blame the other giants for this. Yeah, I think a smart party could try to use, uh, you know, they could start framing the other giants, you know, for the, for the things that they're doing. You know, what that you, now that you mention it, what, uh, I remember some of when we ran, when I ran the Hackmaster version, one of the things that they did, which was very smart of, of the party is they cast enlarge on everybody and posed as either ogres or giants. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And they were able to sneak through some areas, which was, I thought was 
very smart of them, while also times causing a bit of uh, chaos. You know, saying one thing, doing another, whatever it may be. So that was one of those things that they did. So, yeah, some used the horn of Valhalla and then cast a giant size on right. the berserker. Yeah, cast enlarge on on your on your party. When they memorize that spell multiple times, right. so they can have that. Well, yeah, and and you could even have some of the frost giants, like I was mentioning earlier. Uh, you could have out of Fritz Lieber, Fafnir, and uh, the Gray Mouser. Uh, Fafnir comes from a from a, a kind of an Icelandic, you know, kind of Viking, you know, kind of uh, barbarian tribe, right? Well, the women are are spellcasters. Uh, in fact, they're they're they use snow and frost magic. What if the frost giants? What if what if some of the women are like wise women or whatever, and and they they're actually spellcasters, such as Grugnar's wife. Yeah. So there are lots of ways you can really, you know, you can really change the dynamics and and really flesh out yeah with the, with the frost giants and just, you know, I just think it's cool to to instead of just making it a linear, you know, room by room, you can really as a DM, you're you can watch how your players are going. And then mm-hmm. you can you can you know if there's if the players are smart the DMs should be you know uh, you know right there with them you know saying you know I'd be like yeah I totally can see what you guys are going for uh, you know and I I definitely think that this would have some impact on on the negotiations or if you know you, you, if if the players are playing it linear you know that doesn't mean just because the players didn't frame something there there's there's natural mistrust going on they don't need the players to add any more mistrust to what's already a tenuous alliance right and well, don't forget the fun of polymorph other so yes. say, take some of those ice toads polymorph them into a giant and when they start acting like animals <laughs> all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> you got a wild card here we got to deal with these guys very, very true. Yeah. yeah. So there's all sorts of fun you could have. Basically, and don't. Yeah. yeah. Don't, also, uh, oh, I was just going to say. Also, don't be afraid to to uh, to switch up the uh, magic items too. Like a lot of times, players who've already played in G two, they know that 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 hammer of thunderbolts is out there, and they're looking for it. Well, what happens if it's not in there? Right. Well, that's just meta gaming on their part, and that's a no. <laughs> right. And this is a really good way to take care of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or. Say they're looking for that invisible box. Yeah, that you feel it, you kicked it, and you just kicked it off the ledge. Oh darn! Wah wah wah! Wah! Yeah, exactly. I could see the. I could see a meta gamer trying to rationalize why he's hanging around out there. I'm just walking around randomly. Mm-hmm. You know, they're thinking this is. I know. Oh, no, walking around randomly. Oh, d6 roll. Oh, you rolled a one. Oh, you fell off the ledge. Two. No! You found okay, the box. You say you're walking around randomly. You should watch where you're walking. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we've gone off center there from Frost Giant itself. Anything <laughs> yeah. else? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, what I'm saying is, is take the Frost Giant and and, and flesh out the flesh out the race. You know, mm-hmm. figure out what is the dynamics. What are their political dynamics? You know, how do they? What are their tribal dynamics? Uh, is there, you know, are they, uh, are they the type that there's always a lot of infighting amongst them as a race? You know, and this can't, this goes for more than just G2. This goes for any time you use uh, Frost Giants or for that matter, any other type of, of, uh, of at least 
average intelligence or low intelligence creature. What are but, your desires, loves, feelings? Yeah, but yeah. you know, here's the thing: frost giants are a they're a, they're they're what I call a tribal race, which means sure you could have Plans. one or two as a random as a random encounter, but uh, if you're going to have an adventure where you have it set amongst a community, they're community based. I guess you'd say creature. Well, They're anytime you got a community, yeah, yes. anytime you have that kind of a dynamic, you have the potential you need to figure out uh, how, you know, do, do they work well together or do they not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. I guess it's going to wrap up the show this week. I think so. Stay tuned next week when we continue with the G series. Yes, G3. Paul the Fire Giant King. Where the fun really gets going. One oh, hot yeah. minute. Yeah. Keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Bye, everybody. The Roll for Initiative podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. 